0: Revelation chapter 1, if you will please, Um, you'll recall I I shared with you I'm working on some prayer requests that we feel like that um, came from the Lord uh, about instruction on how and what to pray for. He's the one we're praying to. We certainly continue to reiterate that the prayers that get answered in heaven are the ones that originate there. And so, I'm still working on that because every time I get to the point where I think it's finished, I wind up having something to add. So I guess I've concluded probably this is a working document. Um, and uh, so we'll probably have to add to some things or more than likely to add to some things as we continue the journey. Um, But just as a point of emphasis this morning before we get into the scriptures, uh, just to note that several weeks ago it's been in Henry's journey and thinking about his mother and praying for her and terminal cancer and all the things that are going on with them right now. The Lord directed his attention to Acts chapter 16, verse 14. And in Acts 16, 14. It says that God opened up the hearts of the people to hear and to heed the things that were spoken by him to them through Paul. And that's been our prayer. That Lord so God gave that verse to Henry and he's been praying it and we've been praying it with him. And the way we framed it is pray the Lord will open Henry's mother's heart to heed the things spoken by him to her through his eternal word. Acts sixteen, fourteen. So we've been praying that. Now we can add to this morning uh, what Brother Eric just shared with us and how God has led him to pray for his family and the things that are going on in that situation. And uh, I'm so grateful to learn about that. He called me let me know that the Lord had put that on his heart and at the appropriate time he was going to share it with you. So Lord willing, on the prayer request, we'll put that out. But just so you'll know from right now, that comes from 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 14, where the Lord gave David that opportunity. And David said, um, let me just say, you do what's best and deal with me, because your mercy will certainly exceed anything I'll get from man. And isn't that true? Uh, so, uh, Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 14. So that's valuable information to know how we could pray when we think of praying for, uh, for Eric and, and the rest of his family, Susan and all the children. So thank you for Eric for sharing that with us and thank you church family for your commitment to pray and, and talk to the Lord. It wasn't, it wasn't um, I know it was, probably wasn't a minute went past uh, when I sent out the prayer request for my um, cousin's husband and I get a message back from Phil saying we're praying and that is uh, so encouraging and I appreciate that. And I know that not every, not every time can you send a message but things go straight to people are going to pray and we're so grateful for that. So let's continue to do that and uh, and seek our, our God. Let's pray before we open up the, as we open up the Scriptures. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and again we renew our request this morning that not to be informed but be transformed. This is the confidence we have in this book because with the confidence that you've built in our building in our heart of the God it informs us of it. It it paints, portrays um, and your trustworthiness and the power, everything comes from you and the power of your word so powerful that you can speak and everything that we see right now come to be. And uh, Lord, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so we thank you for this book. We thank you for... It came straight from you, from your heart. And surely, if it is true, and it is because you said it, that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh, it is also true that out of the abundance of the heart the pen writeth. And so Lord, we are so grateful that this is from your heart. We can know you. Lord, in knowing You work through us, please, we pray, to make You known. Thank You for the revelation of Jesus Christ at the end of the Scriptures, which are nothing but the beginning of everything, but the ending of this evil age, and to usher us into uh, things made right and new in You and because of You. Encourage us. I pray You will comfort the afflicted. I pray You will afflict the comfortable. That you'll do whatever your word, whatever you deem and purpose to do with it. It doesn't return that void. Thank you for it. Thank you for you. In the sweet name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me as we read from God's precious word? Here, this is, we're going to back up just a little bit uh, of where we started. We'll go to verse 4. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from Him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are from are, are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kingdoms of the earth. To Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Verse 8 I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. Who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the First, and the Last. And what you see, write it a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him... I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand at the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. That's the word of the living God. We picked up a little bit last week and gently remind ourselves this week that the outline of the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ is found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Simply... Outline that John is recording the things which are and the things which will take place. The things you've seen, which is chapter 1, a vision of Jesus and His glory. Chapters 2 and 3, the things which are. And then chapters 4, through the end of the book, the things which will take place after this. Obviously, we're still in the section of the book where he writes down what he has seen and he has seen Jesus in all of his glory, the kingdom of God what they had a preview of seeing on the Mount of Transfiguration when he took three of them up and said you will see the kingdom of God, some of you will see it in your lifetime in your ministry you will see the kingdom of God he took them up on the Mount of Transfiguration rolled back his flesh and Let them see Him in all of His glory. John gets that vision now. And if I had to title something today, I feel like the many directions we could go with this, but this morning, it would be, Then I Turned. Quote, unquote. Then I Turned. Picking up from, lifting that from verse 12. Then I Turned. This one that spoke to him, Beginning in verse eight, we've talked about it. We talked about it in verse seven last week. The one whom they pierced. We talked about how that was prophesied in all the way back in the book of Zechariah. We talked about the controversy and the way that men have worked to try to change that thought that the one they pierced is actually God Himself. By changing around some of the ways that verses and those verses are interpreted. We'll not get into that this morning, but in this effort to, to, to dethrone Jesus. And that's the greatest effort perpetrated by the enemy. is to dethrone Jesus Christ. You to your eternity rises and falls based on what you believe about Jesus Christ. It is not Jesus Christ who saves. I know you're ready to walk out after you hear that. It's not Jesus Christ who saves. It is the biblical Jesus Christ who saves. And there is a difference. You'll hardly run into anybody that doesn't believe in God the Father and God the Son. Um, Everybody believes in God through conscience and creation. Whether they own up to it or not, they do. It's in every make and every model. That's standard equipment for every human being. Through conscience and creation, they know that God is. We all know that God is. Some will even go on so far as to affirm that, yes, Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died on the cross, (coughs) raised from the dead. Some go that far in the historical existence of Jesus. And they won't take you up, but take your task or deny that. But where the rub and where the water meets the road is where they believe in what the Bible claims about Him. The claims of the Bible regarding Jesus Christ, God's Son, God the Son. It is the biblical Jesus who saves for if He's not God, then there is no salvation. We're done. We're had for. He was born into the curse of sin, therefore cursed Himself, and therefore His death on the cross might have been symbolic and meaningful and showed us some things. And it's a life to live by and to emulate and to admire. But there's nothing redemptive about it if He's not God the Son because that blood could not cleanse anybody from their sin. Praise His name. He is God the Son. To deny His humanity and to affirm His deity is heresy. To deny His deity and affirm His humanity is heresy. He is God who became man. Hallelujah. And He's always been God. Every cult has this in common. This one thing. And that is the denial of the deity of Jesus Christ. And we talk about deity too. We're not just talking about that He is deity. We've got to go further than that. The slander against Jesus by the enemy, Satan, which his name means slanderer, has no end. And some would go on as to say that he became God, that through his life and the way he lived, he became God. The only problem with that is, is you can't become God. You're either God or you're not, because God has no beginning and he certainly has no end. To say he became God means he had a beginning and through his way of living he became God. That's the reason why cults hate, hate, hate the doctrine of the Trinity. If The doctrine of the Trinity is true, which the Bible clearly teaches it. Just look at this first chapter. Then that means Jesus Christ did not become God. It means he's always been God. That's part of God's resume. If you're God, that means you've always been God and you always will be. And you can't become God. He's God, we're not. Let's settle that. And so who is He? We talked about that last week. And they just want so badly to, to dethrone Him to say, oh no, wait, that can't be talking about God because you can't pierce a spirit. And the Bible clearly says that God is spirit. So how can you pierce a spirit? You can pierce God if God becomes a man. Which is exactly what He did. Hallelujah. 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 Then he says he's the Alpha and the Omega. You know this that Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letters of the alphabet, of the Greek alphabet. First letter, last letter, and everything in between in an infinite number of combinations. It communicates knowledge and truth. And that's what it just symbolizes. God is omniscient, all knowledge is found in him. He knows everything, he's omnipresent, and he's omnipowerful. He has no limits, he defines everything. Yet He's undefinable because He's infinite. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Everything in between and everything that can be known and everything that is known, it rests in Him. He is the beginning and the end. He is the divine catalyst. We love Him because He first loved us. No man sees God, but God sees man. The Bible says no one sees God. No, not one. If God doesn't take the initiative, if God doesn't come and do what he did to reach and redeem repentant men and women and boys and girls, no one gets reached. We don't come into this world with an appetite for God. We don't come into this world with a bent toward God. We come into this world and we run as fast as we can with lightning speed away from him. And what does he do? God humbles himself. Can you imagine? God is humble. That's an attribute of God. That God's humble. God's humble and has no reason to be. And we're prideful and have no reason to be. And God humbles Himself, comes a man, and goes after people who hate Him. Of which you, before you were saved, used to be one of them. That's a miracle. That's God-centered gospel. And God-centered gospel is the only gospel there is. And any other gospel is perverted. It's Him. It's Him. Praise His name. He caught up with you and He saw you and I. He's Alpha, the Omega, the Beginning, the End. He's Divine Catalyst. He will see it through, says the Lord. The One who was, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. There again, and Paul and I were talking about this the other day. Imagine thinking about the fact that God has no beginning and no end. You start thinking about that that God has no beginning. And then we just go, wait a minute now, that's off the scale. I can't even deal with that. That category is not a category. But even if it were, I can't categorize it. I can't do anything with that. Everything's got to have a beginning. Yes, everyone but God he has no beginning. Why is it that we have a hard time trusting Him? He is, He was, And He's coming. He is the Almighty God. Praise His wonderful name. And this God who's speaking to us right here is God, comma, the Son. This is God, the Son. This is Jesus Christ. If you have a be pamby Jesus, if you have a be pamby Jesus who's got up the lambs and He's walking along the seashore and all that other stuff, those are wonderful thoughts, I can tell you this. But at the end of this book, we don't see a be pamby Jesus. We see a Jesus who's come to put an end to all godless rule and authority and deliver us from this present evil age. Hallelujah! Amen? We are not on the losing team. Little wonder that this would be a book that is a favorite of Satan's to attack. Why? Would it that you would advance or encourage anybody to read the Bible, much less a book that chronicles your demise? Your defeat is set forth in this Word. It is fixed, and you know yourself that there's not a thing you can do about it. So what does Satan do? He attacks this book. He attacks the Bible. He he attacks the bookends of the Bible like, like nothing else. He attacks Genesis, and he attacks Revelation like nothing else. He attacks the whole thing. But those two are his favorite targets. Because it tells how we got in the mess that we are and exposes him for who he is and God's remedy of sending his son and his ultimate defeat. And then Revelation chronicles his ultimate defeat and his eternal consignment to hell. Little wonder. Little wonder. He would stir up so much of controversy or encourage apathy over it. I heard a pastor say the other day of some messages, a block of messages some folks sent me about Revelation and he said that there was a poll that was taken I don't know where it came from he didn't cite it or whatever but I trust that it's true and he said there was a poll taken among pastors and it said what is the book that you least likely least like to teach and the winner um, which would be for the church the loser would be the book of Revelation that was hands down the number one then the congregants were asked the same question what book would you like to hear most taught, and you guessed it, was the book of Revelation. This is You know what the Bible says about this book? It says, comfort one another with these words. That's God's intent. It's not to contort. If you're not ready for Him coming, you need to be contorted. But if you're ready for Him coming, you need to be comforted. Amen. And the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and the One who became flesh, Jesus, eight centuries before He even came, and look at it in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 let's go over and look at it you're very familiar with this especially Handel's Messiah and there are verses all over the Bible that affirm Jesus' deity I had an opportunity to witness at the library the other day the two young men there and they were painfully obvious that they were Mormon missionaries and I walked up to him and said you guys LDS? and he said yeah and we wind up in this um, discussion uh, there in the parking lot of the library, I felt so sorry for them. And I said, this Jesus, who you blaspheme every day, I said, it's tragic. The tragedy, it's tragedy enough that your leadership is going to hell. I said, but the greatest tragedy is, is you're going to follow from there. And this Jesus that you deified, I mean, you de-deified, you're going to stand in front of one day, and you're not going to come up with an excuse or a good reason why you did that, except your pride. And that will not hold up in court. And I said that lovingly. I didn't say that. I, I feel sorry for him. I really do. Blaspheme the Son like that. The Bible says, Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Blasphemy against the Son will be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What does that mean? It means the biblical account of who Jesus is, if rejected, there's no hope for you. Because Jesus, the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. So if you say what the Holy Spirit wrote about Jesus is a lie, you have no hope. That will make us tremble for those who mar the lovely name of Jesus. Don't feel sorry for Jesus. Feel sorry for those who continue to do it. They're the ones to be pitied. 9 verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon His shoulder, and His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. What? What? Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. Hallelujah. 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 He is the mighty God. He is God. Look at verses 8, 11, and 17 in Revelation chapter 1. He is a triune God. He is one in three persons. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I love that song, holy, holy, holy. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 8, 11, and 17. Verse 8 I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who was, who is, and was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Look at verse 11. Saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write it a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. And look at verse seventeen. And when he saw him, when I saw, when I saw him, I fell at his feet dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, "Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am He who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore." Amen. Seven resurrections are quoted in the scriptures, but what's common among all seven of them except one is they all went out and died again. Not so with Jesus. Poor Lazarus had to die twice. Not so with Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 But look at at the Trinity there. In verse 8, you see God the Father. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. In verse 11, you see God the Son. It says, I was in the Spirit, John said, and Spirit is capitalized. So he's completely filled with the Holy Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind him a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. Who wrote the Bible? God, work of men, the Holy Spirit wrote it. So the Holy Spirit fills him up and says, you write down what I tell you. God the Holy Spirit. And then obviously in verse 17 we see God the Son. It says... And when I saw him, I fell on his feet as dead. He laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Obviously, God the Son. So we have God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. There was a time when God the Father and God the Holy Spirit turned their back on God the Son. You remember that with Jesus, uh, of the seven saints, he said from the, the cross, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God the Father, God the Holy Spirit turned their back on God the Son for the first time ever. Why? I wrote in the margin of my Bible because that first appears in Psalm 22, 800 years before Jesus said it. And I wrote in the Bible, the cause of Lindsay Lewis's sin. That's why they turned their back on him. Everything that I'd ever done wrong, thought wrong, said wrong, or ever will. My wrong being and my wrongdoing was placed on Him. And so was yours. So God the Holy Spirit and God the Father turned their back on God the Son. And now we see Him in agreement post-resurrection. <laughs> Celebrating his, his coming. We know because He was raised from the dead that God accepted the sacrifice. And now we know for sure it's accepted because He's coming again. And all three of them attest to that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are. This is the Jesus we speak of. This is the Jesus we witness to. This is what it means, and this is critical because the closer we get to the Lord's coming, the better the enemy gets at deceiving others. The Bible says evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And the main target of their deception is to invalidate, um, to discredit the claims of the confessing church about the work, the witness, the identity, and the effectual power of God's redemptive work in and through His Son. Because remember, it is the biblical Jesus who saves. It is the biblical Jesus who saves. We need to know who the biblical Jesus is. And this is our call. This is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know what? Make a straight path. Prepare for His coming by making a straight path. Declare Him and live Him so that there's no vagueness or ambiguity. There's no clouds. There's no doubt. It's crystal clear about who we are and why we are who we are and who we believe in and who made us for who we are and why He did it and why we stood in need of it and why everybody else stands in need of it as well. God's redemptive Son through His Son. I mean, God's redemptive work through His Son. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ. It was on the island that is called Patmos. You remember we talked about that before. It's a small Pino Island in the Aegean Sea right off the coast of what is modern day Turkey. He was there for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here we go again. It's the biblical Jesus who saves, the word of God, and then what Jesus said about himself. This is what the Word says about me, and when He came, this is what I say to, test, to attest to that Word, in deed, action, and truth. And those two, not only was He there for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, because He was there because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's so why He wound up there. He was on the island because of the preaching of the Gospel. We're headed that way. We're there now in other cultures all over the world. Those who say, you know, we're not going to compromise on who Jesus is. We're not going to compromise on His claims. We embrace those claims because it is belief in those claims that has redeemed us. We don't give on those. We're not going to negotiate. We're not going to cut a deal. We're not going to compromise. He is who He is. He did what He said He was going to do. And I've been redeemed forevermore because of it. And if you're not redeemed, judgment awaits it's this Jesus that we witness to It says make a straight path I remember and I, you guys have told us, I've told this before to you But we were working with a guy who's going to um, uh, Plant a church At Rutgers University up in New Jersey There are no, hardly no Very very weak witness of evangelical Strong evangelical churches up there And at the time the denomination we were in Was funding a project to put Churches and plant churches where They're scarcely little And this guy who was on our staff was going to be a part of that. And I was mentoring him at the time. And we used to meet every Thursday morning. We had a wonderful, wonderful time, wonderful relationship. He came in there one day and he said, I'm disturbed about something. I said, what? He said, they're asking us to give out this. And I looked on it and it was a picture of a a rock star on the front cover. And he said, we're going to use this to reach out and connect and all this other stuff. And I said, Kevin, here's the truth of the matter. I said, you're going on that campus and you're going to witness to people and you're going to share the gospel to people who are already confused already. This picture will do nothing but add to their confusion. You need to go to that campus and be crystal clear about who you are and the Savior that you've been changed by and represent. You're His ambassador, and you don't need some prominent, foul-mouthed rock star to help you. If there's ever been a time that we need to be clear, it's now. People are confused, and we have added to their confusion, I'm afraid, in the church culture in America. They're walking around confused. When you're walking in darkness, one direction looks just as good as the other. And when you have light, we have a responsibility and a privilege and opportunity to shed light on subjects, to calibrate our thinking with biblical truth, whether it's received well or received at all or not is none of our concern. But we should be clear about who we are, who we worship, where we came from and where we're headed, and where the unrepentant are going to head. So he was there because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus, and he was there for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I just want to say this to you. I wonder how many songs go unwritten. I wonder how many things have gone undone simply because a believer tried to sidestep or get out of a divine ordered tribulation or pressure that God has put them through. We look for the escape route instead of the sovereign God who orchestrated it. I wonder what goes undone. Do you understand this guy was put off on an island for preaching the gospel, being faithful to the word of God, instead of being committed by this world? And I don't know why we're waiting on that. I'm not going to be commended by the world. We shouldn't want commendation from the world. Many believers have enough of the world. They have enough of Jesus to be miserable in the world. And they have enough of the world to be miserable in Jesus. Because of the faithful preaching of the Word of God, God put him off into a place where he could speak to him, truth that we study today, that encourages and motivates the church today, and will do that until he comes. And that is that in the end, we do win. It has already been won. But it was the tribulation that we have in common. That's why we said before when Brer Rabbit outsmarted the the fox, he said, throw me in the briar patch. I fear that more than anything else. I fear that more than going down your throat. And he threw him in the fire practice. He goes out there and he's, I can just see him turning somersaults. I can see the movie. and He's out there turning somersaults and diving like he's diving into a pool. And he said, you miscalculated because this is where I was born. That's Christianity. You know what? Throw me on that cross because that's where my faith was forced. I was redeemed and bought and purchased there. I do not fear the cross. I worship the Jesus who died there. He's off of it and now I'm on it. Let the tribulation come. Let it come. My God is able. My God is supernatural and my God is able. Do you understand that there's a lot of verses that we just kind of, sometimes we don't pay much attention to in the Bible. There's some that we just kind of gloss over. There's some that we just, they're favorites of ours. And that's fine if they're not out of balance. But here's one that I don't often you don't often hear hear quoted. And there are lots lots of others like it, but look at Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city... And made many disciples. They turned. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, "If you'll just follow Jesus, everything will turn out right. The pig will never die, and your business will grow and thrive. You will be rich. You'll drive any car you claim that you are to have. You'll have any kind of relationship that you just claim you should have." and everything will just go great and you'll float to heaven on a bed of ease, comfort, and pleasure. Exhorting them to continue the saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. We know enough of the Bible to know that we don't enter into the kingdom of God because of tribulation. We enter the kingdom of God because of Jesus. But following Him is going to mean what that meant for Him. Difficulty, rejection, tribulation, distress, trouble, and rejection from a world that hates Him to this day. And will hate Him until this age is brought to a close by Him. But that tribulation and that setting burst the revelation of Jesus Christ. That tribulation and that setting birthed the book of the Bible that declares the sovereignty of God, the exceedingly good outcome for the repentant, and the, the awful judgment that awaits the unrepentant the tribulation. That came out of the faithful preaching of the gospel. That came out of not being favored by men, but by rejected and hated by men. This book comes forth. Little wonder God would pick on John to write it. Because the gospel of John, as you know, the theme of the gospel of John is the deity of Jesus Christ. All the gospels have a different theme. His task, by the Holy Spirit, was to write about Jesus and say, here he is, he is God Himself. So why wouldn't it make sense, doesn't it make sense that that same apostle who wrote about the deity of Christ would come here at the end and write about the deity of Christ? It reminds me of what happened, and you've heard us tell the story of Helen Lemuel. Helen Lemuel. And you know this, and many of you, when you sing, you hear him son, it's a great blessing I've got a book at the house and it's got some of you might have this book it's similar, but it's a chronicle of famous hymns and some not so famous and everything in between and how they came to be how did this hymn come about what's the background what's the story that came out of this Helen Lemuel was blinded she contracted some kind of disease and in her 20s she was blind she was married to a German businessman and after she lost her sight, he said, you know what? I didn't sign up for this. We were, you had sight when we were married. And you don't have it now. And I'm not interested in hanging around with a woman who can't see. She was made a eunuch by a man. He made her a eunuch. Some eunuchs are made, by, made eunuchs by men. And they ripped apart two people that become one in marriage. And she was made a eunuch. And so now, as a eunuch, she served the Lord. And she lived in abject poverty and died in abject poverty in a public housing unit in San Francisco. And among the things they found in her findings was this song. And the chorus goes, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I don't believe that God could give that to a person who probably could physically see. I think it was best given to a person who could see. Not physically, but could see. Because you know this, in the world, seeing is believing. But in Christianity, believing is seeing. This woman, saw something that I'm afraid we're blind to sometimes. She saw the glory of the risen Christ, and that's what he saw right here. She, tra- she saw a trustworthy God. She saw a God that wasn't to be resented because of her rejection and the blindness and all of that, but a God who was to be trusted because of it. She saw a God that knew that after she lost her sight, the next thing that she would see would be the face of the one who redeemed her by His blood. That is Christianity. That's where John was. And that might be, dear one, where you are. And here's what I would encourage you to do. Look at verse 12. Let's read on. Let's just, just grab the whole thing. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is the place that God intended to give it to him. This is the position God designed and intended to give it to him. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Curiously, if God shows up to give somebody something like this, something that had never been given before, information. Now, some of it had been given and We've told of in Daniel and Isaiah. You remember, seventy percent of this book are allusions to the Old Testament. Remember, I was talking about that when we first started. But this detailed information about the coming King and the circumstances that lead up to it will surround His coming and it will hurl us into eternity. This book, this book given to this man in this setting, you would think that when Jesus appeared to him to tell him in the Holy Spirit to write it down, he just stood in front of him. If i got something to say to you, Phil, I don't normally get behind you to say it. I said, Phil, let's talk this over. And we i am not going to get behind you and wait for you to turn around. For you, to, for you means I want to address you directly, especially if I'm royalty. I mean, we're, this is royalty. <laughs> this is this is the king of everything. <clears throat> and yet, here's the voice from behind. <clears throat> and look what it says. It's as of a trumpet. Saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in the book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And look what he says. And this is the title of the message. We finally got here. Then I turned. Dear ones, if there's ever a time that that needs to be said of us, then I turned going to turn to him who are you looking to today who are you trusting who are you and i trusting we're you know what we made a mistake the black church made a big mistake they stood for the right things let's you know black people should have the right to vote everybody should be treated equally under law absolutely those are right things we shouldn't have one water fountain not two But when you get to the place from your pulpit that you advocate relying on the government rather than the God who ordained it, you're in trouble. And the evangelicals have made the same mistake over time. And we've started relying on politicians and political change and political processes and political movements and political ideology. And now even the Constitution is not going to protect us. And I believe that God did that by design. So we would finally get to the point where we say, You know what, God? We're going to trust you to protect us. We need only you. That census, the reason he got in trouble about the census, Eric, that you brought up this morning, is because he began to trust in his military might and his military power. And God knew that if he left that undone, he's got a king he cannot use because he's trusting in somebody other than him. Who are we turning to? I call from the Scriptures to say, let's turn to the Lord. Let's trust the Lord. The Bible says the victory, the horse is made ready for battle, but victory rests with the Lord. This is what we need to do. Then I turn, fill in the blank. Then I turn, fill in the blank. Who are you turning to right now? Is it a hope for change in the future? Turn away from it. What if the circumstance never does change? What if God says, this is the way it's going to be until you get the glory? We got to get to the point where we're good with that because we realize, you know what? In the middle of an unchangeable circumstance, he reigns. I've got to know him here on this island. In this place designed by him, I got to know him in a place I wouldn't have otherwise got to know him. And I go to church and tell everybody I want to be like Jesus. And then when he starts making me like Jesus, I resent the way he's doing it. There's nothing but good for you. Is it the good coming from this book for the repentant? I don't see a thing bad about it. I don't see anything but celebration and trustworthiness and future glory. Who are we turning to? Who are we turning to? Look at your wallet. Who are you turning to? Look at your time calendar. Look at your heart, your affections, your relationships. Who are you turning to? Man is not to be trusted. The Bible says the central verse of the Bible is Psalm 118 verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. That's the central verse of the Bible. In some ways, the central message of the Bible. You don't get saved until you stop trusting yourself. Don't you? Isn't repentance in effect saying, I'm lost and I cannot save myself. I've quit trying. Will you please save me? Isn't it to stay saved to say the same thing? Isn't it to say the same thing? I want you to see who you're trusting. Look who you turn to. I turned to the voice that spoke with me and having turned, I saw the lampstands and in the middle of the lampstands, I saw Jesus reclining at the table, eating bread and just hugging me like I last saw Him. No! The last time he saw Him, He was hanging on a cross and it looked like an inevitable defeat. And then it was a resurrected body. But it was not this. What He saw this time was Jesus Christ in all of His full Lord glory. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And He knew that by God's grace, my trust is well placed. When it's in Jesus. And then I turned. Did you know that same thing happened to Moses when the fire was burning? And the Bible says, it made a point to say, <coughs> you know the account in Exodus chapter 3, but it made a point to say that Moses is minding his own business she think he's going to do this the rest of his life. And he, the fire, the burned bush is burning. And the Bible says, he said this, I like, then I turned aside just like he had to turn aside. Then I turned. Now who, look at this. We can, we can go into all of this. He's in his priestly garments. <laughs> he's clothed with a garment down to the feet and he's girded about the chest with a golden band. Did you know that when the priest was dressed like that and his, <clears throat> uh-uh, his uh, garment was girded, it means that he was at work. What work is he doing right now? Well, he's already done the work to save and reach and redeem us. Hallelujah. What is he doing right now? <laughs> he's at the Father's right hand. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And the intercessory priestly relationship that he has with us is the work of sanctification whereby he's promised that he is going to conform me into the image of his son. And he who began a good work in me is going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. So you are not alone. Is that enough to know? Because sometimes it seems like the way we act, that that is not enough to know. But that is enough to know. I know this. My God is able. We're all cool with that. He's available. We're cool with that. But He is my strength, my refuge, and very present help in time of need. He is, I am. Look how he entered. When he turned and saw, he said to him, in verse 11, I am. You've heard this before. I am. I am doesn't complete a sentence. That's not a sentence. I am. It's a title. But when you complete the sentence and put the blank in it, you can fill it out and say, I am what? Whatever you need. I am whatever you need. To a blind man, in John chapter 9, verse 5, he's the light of the world. To a hungry man, in John chapter 6, verse 35, he's the bread of life. When he's ministering to a dead man's family, and Lazarus is dead, and he stands before his two grieving sisters, he is the resurrection and the life. When he's talking to a bunch of confused people who say, you know what? You know where I'm going and I'm coming to get you. And and Thomas says, I don't understand what you mean by that. And somebody who's lost their way or maybe is nervous about the future because he's hearing these things like I'm here around and I'm fixing to leave and and you're going through all those things. To that group of people, just like to you, he is the way, the truth, and the life. To somebody who's striving to live a righteous life and just can't seem to come to victory. To someone who has got besetting sin in their life and they just can't seem to get up beyond it. And the devil has convinced us that this is the way it's going to be. This is your bent. This is just the way it is. It's just, you can't get beyond it. There's just some things that are too much for God. Give up on it. Forget about it. To you, he is the true vine. And by faith, when we abide in him, whatever by ism is, is a wasm. And I don't have to live that way anymore. I can be free because I've been made free. To the one who's looking around, trying to find a way in, and trying to find the hatch that opens the door to life and a life of that's not confusing anymore, and dark and hopeless. He's the door. He's the door. John chapter 10. And to you, who need to be picked up and nurtured and cared for, because you're discouraged and doubtful and fearful. To you who have been pillaged by this sorry world and its false claims, and maybe have bought into some of them and have been affected deeply and affected others by your subscribing to the lies of the enemy. He is the good. Shepherd In John chapter 10, verses 11 and 14. Then what does a good shepherd do? I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Don't just restrict that to the cross. (laughs) Because on the cross, He gave His life for you. But when He was raised... He reached you. He gave His life to you. He's my life. He's your life. I have eternal hope because of Him that won't fade away. And nobody can do anything about that. And nobody can destroy my peace unless I live as I am a self-imposed, impoverished, outcast because poverty for the believer is self-imposed. That's why the rainbow has seven colors. The rainbow has seven colors because there's seven I am statements. You break up light and you see all of it and it's things that you can't see except through a prism or when the rainbow occurs across the sky. Jill took a picture of one the other day and sent it to me because she knows that encourages me because of Isaiah 54 some things that God showed me in Isaiah 54. I got to where now I see rainbows all the time. Seemed like I just never saw them more. I guess it was because I wasn't looking for them. I guess I needed to turn aside. Turn aside and see if you see those seven colors and remind you that I am statements. A little wonder the enemy would hijack that symbol. A little wonder the enemy would hijack that symbol because that's the Antichrist, That's what that is. I'm trying to counterfeit something that cannot be counterfeited. And you know what? Hey, listen, when you got the real thing, you'll never say, counterfeit. Counterfeits only work from people who have yet to receive the real thing. And you only counterfeit that which is valued and cherished and desired. You don't counterfeit things that people don't care anything about. We don't go around counterfeiting Confederate money, it's no good. Turn aside. Turn aside. Ask God to gather, ask God in a practical sense. He's already done it positionally, but ask God in a practical sense. Actually, tell him, you have my heart and my affections. Because we're standing in front of not some little gentle lamb. No, that's that's done. That's a hallelujah. We're standing in front of the King of Kings and the Lord of lords. You cannot be defeated. There's no way. Your victory and my victory is secure. There's no way. There's no way. It's a settled. It's a fixed thing. And we need to turn aside. And we need to turn aside to the I am, the one who is whatever I need. And I want you to know, when you turn aside to Him, you know, we talk about this, and it's really true. Even though I don't want to ask, I hope familiarity doesn't breed contempt will say things like, you know what, you're either in a trial, coming out of one, or going into one. There's a lot of truth in that. And some of them seem to stay a lot longer than you'd like. But it is at those places that God's greatest work is done. It really is true. And it's those places where this vision is most appreciated. It's at those places when we look at Him and go, you know what, I'm just desperate enough to... It's those places where we get to the point where we start resting in Him. And you know what He starts doing? He starts exposing things that we didn't see before. Like who we are relying upon. How much trust am I putting in my whatever? How much is it? And and, uh, sometimes it might be that those things have to be removed. Not because God's stingy. He just loves you too much to walk in deceit and live in deceit. That place of tribulation, John got the revelation of Jesus Christ that encourages us today. I hope it encourages you today. And I think the question is, who are we turning aside to? Let's turn aside. Let's slow the pace and let's turn aside. Let's turn aside so we're operating in His strength and not our own. Let's abide. Let's take everything that comes off of it out of His mouth and live on it by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Let's ask Him to examine our heart. Positionally speaking, if you're a believer, you're fully trusting. Practically speaking, that's another matter. And it is that practical that we're talking about this morning. Let's trust Him. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with prayer. Where duty, calls or danger, be never wanting there. Amen.